Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The Titans and Packers are your top seeds in the NFL playoffs, both receiving buys, and the playoff field is set. Final hour is here. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Glad you're with us alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Paul Koharski, back with us hopefully tomorrow. Crew's all here as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The Titans stepped up after a dismal first quarter and a third quarter. Um, and fourth quarter had some some players rise to the occasion. Ryan Tannehill at the top of that list. And they go on the road and win at Houston and return back to Nashville with the number one overall seed. 28-25 the final score. But ultimately, nobody's going to look back and ask how this game played out. Because now the the real season begins. The postseason where the Titans are two wins away from representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. And they're one win away here in Nashville from hosting the AFC Championship game for the first time since the franchise moved here to Music City. Uh, they, they finished the, the season with 12 wins. And due to the head-to-head matchup with Kansas City, they get the first round by and the number one overall seed. Not pretty at times. That's been kind of the description, Chad, of, of their season. But the results are very pretty for them because they sit atop the AFC. And as Vrabel said yesterday in his post-game press conference, they are now among the elite eight teams automatically as the playoffs begin. Look, this team has surprised me throughout the year. They surprised me to go up to New Jersey and lose to a terrible Jets team. They surprised me when they lost at home uh, to the Texans. They also surprised me when they went on the road and beat the Rams on Sunday night football. They've surprised in good ways. They've surprised in bad ways. Two big surprises yesterday that I want to point out with this Titans team. I was shocked that when it was 21-0 at halftime, the way the Texans looked offensively and with that late Titans touchdown and just how apathetic the Titans were in that first quarter that they had a 21-0 lead at halftime. I was shocked to see the Texans get right back in that game Yes, and make it 21-18. I, I thought at halftime, this game is over. There's no need to watch. There's no need to discuss it. Titans are going to roll right into that number one seed. That did not happen. I'm also shocked, again, this is sort of the yin and the yang we've talked about with the Titans all year, that Ryan Tannehill, who has underperformed most of this season, made a borderline damn heroic play to save this team's bacon when they needed it most. I did not think that Ryan Tannehill had that play in him because that was a magic act. That was a sack on third and four, and the Titans are giving it right back to a Texans team that their defense was making Davis Mills look like Peyton Manning and Danny Amendola looking like the Patriots' Danny Amendola. They were losing that game if Tannehill did not make that play. That surprised me, just like the Titans' defensive effort in that second half surprised me. And then the Titans give up another quick touchdown 
right after that. Defensively, they were just miserable in that second half. Some of that's with some of the secondary guys they were missing in that second half, but that was not a great effort uh, defensively. But it doesn't matter. You're right in saying that, Hutton. It does not matter because Ryan Tannehill bailed them out when they needed it most, and he's going to have to do that a time or two if this team is going to get to a Super Bowl, and especially if they're going to win a Super Bowl. That was encouraging. The other encouraging part about this, Julio Jones finally showed up and did something. Julio Jones, and they need that to carry over to the playoffs uh, for sure. And we said last week, uh, and I may have ended the show last week by saying that there, there are expectations for him to do more than what he showed in the regular season going into the postseason. And really, that's not that hard to do based on what we've seen from him thus far. But throughout his career... When he was able to play in the postseason, he was a difference maker in the postseason. He was the man. And yesterday, while they they had a group of players step up, the fact that Julio was a part of that mix and they had A.J. Brown and Julio moving the sticks, that allowed Anthony Ferkser to get open across the middle. Uh, that, that allowed Anthony Ferkser to get in the end zone. I, that allowed Nick Westbrook-Akina to play his role and play it well. And going back to what Chad just pointed out about Ryan Tannehill, uh, Jacob Martin should have sacked him, did not in the fourth quarter. And the way he escaped that pressure to then find Westbrook-Akina 36 yards downfield, not only did it save the game because Houston's offense was humming at that point, and they were about to get the football back because after that play, if he goes down in a sack, they're punting deep in their own territory and Houston's likely getting the football, give or take 10 yards around midfield, somewhere between the 35 and 50. And they're set up and they're rolling. And instead, it's a 36-yard completion that ends up two plays later going into the end zone with the Ferkser touchdown. Outstanding job by Tannehill throughout this game. I thought it going back through just games of memory, I thought it's the best game we've seen from Tannehill in three months since they played Kansas City uh, at Nissan Stadium and beat the Chiefs going away. Tannehill was excellent yesterday. Uh, stepped up and, and made some big throws. Um, some of those to Julio. Second, It was it the second highest catch total of the season for Julio Jones. It was the season high for him in targets. And then we saw the touchdown that also added points to the board. And it's the most yards we've seen from Julio Jones since week six. So if this is an unveiling of sorts of a healthy Julio who is now going to step in and give them this or a version of this where you can count on 35 to 50 receiving yards somewhere in that realm, the attention that is paid to both he and A.J. Brown is undeniable in that pass game. And if you have the attention in the pass game paired with the running back of Derrick Henry's return, then we're getting back to the options that we were discussing. Not that, not that we saw, but that we were discussing in the preseason. And while I don't think we're going to see that full throttle, I thought yesterday was as close as we've seen to the offense being a version of what we thought we would see in September. And that is extremely, uh, it's extremely beneficial for a team that goes into the postseason on a high note, that gets the bye week, and now gets to assess who their opponent will be, and gets to hit the training room and get ready for two straight games at home before they would travel on the road. Period to play in Super Bowl Fifty Six. It's 
an outstanding job. And uh, yesterday they reached 91 players played across this roster. They had already set the NFL record. They finished the regular season using 91 different players. And for them to finish with the number one overall seed is fantastic. Congrats to the organization. And uh, they're not getting a lot of play nationally for that. Vrabel will when he wins coach of the year. Because I'm seeing more and more people talk about him now than I've saw I've seen all season for that award. And Tannehill, look, I don't know if there's many people that would put Ryan Tannehill on their top 10 quarterback list right now. But if he's able to manage the game the way he did yesterday, and I'm not knocking him by saying that, if he's able to play Tannehill-type quarterback football that we've seen in past years going into the playoffs, that is a huge burden lifted off the offense. And a, a, a guy that's been throwing the football around and turning the football over some and inconsistent at times. I, I can't think of too many poor decisions, and I'm certainly not in that playbook. He had one, one throw nearly intercepted where he threw in the double coverage. I can't think of another bad pass throughout the game. He was excellent. And Chad, you're right. He's the reason they won because he stepped up in the biggest moment of the game. Well, he's a big reason they lost to Houston the last time. You know, five right. turnovers yeah. for Tannehill in that Titans offense, zero. Yesterday in that win was huge in this game. And we talked a lot about playoff mindset for that game leading up to it, Hutton, and what we wanted to see from the Titans. I thought the second quarter, the whole team locked in and had a playoff mindset as they built that 21 nothing lead. I think Ryan Tannehill and the offense, both with the play, the, the escape act for the big play to Westbrook Aquina in that touchdown drive, uh, Julio Jones, I can point to a lot of facets of the offense that had a playoff mindset when they needed it in the second half and they went back to the running game when they, when they had to, late to ice the game um, with Dontrell Hilliard who was sort of the money man for the Titans yesterday when they had that game icing drive. He was great. They were great in bringing it back to a playoff mindset offensively um, disappointed defensively in that game because even when the Titans took that 10 point lead after the escape act I'm thinking, okay, now they're going to do something against Davis Mills, and they did nothing uh, after that. So th- that was the disappointment, but uh, it's, it was the defense that carried them most of the season. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and rain on the defensive parade for the Titans and what they accomplished. It was great. You knew they were going to need the offense to bail them out at some point. I think they did that in spurts in the second half yesterday. Uh, but regardless, we're not going to remember any of that because now the Titans get an extra week to heal up and what does that mean for Derrick Henry? What does that mean for Derrick Henry? Where he practiced last week, they decided not to play him, not to risk it, did not even travel, was not active for that game. So what does this extra week mean for Henry, for some of the guys in the secondary that are banged up, for players in this roster that are beat up? They had their five offensive linemen out there yesterday. Um, what does it mean for all these guys that have battled injuries all year? That's To me, that's the most important thing now moving, moving forward. Rust versus rest. You know, we saw Aaron Rodgers play a half yesterday. Didn't need to. Played a half for Green Bay. Rust versus rest now. You always take the rest when you can get that by. But how does it affect Packers, Titans, moving forward with AFC and NFC playoffs? Well, I've pointed out in weeks past, the number one seed is huge in the AFC. Um, and, and really, it's been the top two seeds in the AFC up until now. But over the last eight seasons or since uh, going back since 2012, the only AFC teams to reach the Super Bowl had a bye week. Very difficult to travel on the road this time of year and win a big playoff game. And 
while we've seen road teams go on the road and, and win, we certainly see it in wild card weekend. We see upsets. Um, I think it's huge that the Titans sit back and let things play out before they get in the mix. Because I think the, the AFC playoff picture is as wide open as we've seen in any year. And the fact that the Titans, in, in essence, had Houston as their number as their first round playoff game uh, is is huge because they get Henry the extra rest. And there was I don't think they even contemplated playing him in this game. They didn't elevate him on Saturday, and I don't think they planned on doing that. And they they go into the playoffs benefiting more from their run game because now they know they have two guys that are fully capable of giving Henry some rest if he so needs it going into that week one or, or first playoff matchup. First game back uh, from injury. And meanwhile, you have A.J. Brown healthy. You have Julio Jones healthy and contributing in the last time out that we've seen. Can he carry that over? And all of a sudden, there is a, a, a splash of Anthony Ferkser. You know, he, that's the other element of this that we have not seen for the vast majority of the season. And during some of their biggest playoff moments... Berkser in the tight end game did come up with some big catches, some big moments. And big catches in the playoffs can mean a 13-yard grab going out of bounds to extend a drive on third and long in the fourth quarter. Matchups like that and big plays like that matter now. And yesterday we saw that from this group. And it starts with their quarterback. The offense, though, now, Chad, going into the postseason – has a chance to get back to the group we thought was going to carry over from last year. And while they haven't been terrible, uh, in fact, they've been much better than what we expected without Henry, they aren't on last year's pace, even with the extra game. If you just go and look through the numbers, um, with one extra game this season, they scored 72 fewer points than last season. The passing game generated 235 fewer yards through the air than last season. Again, with one extra game compared to last year in playing 16 games. And the offense rushed for nearly 300 fewer yards this year compared to last year. I think all of that has to do with the injuries in the run game. And the fact that they're that close to matching last year's franchise best and and record-setting performance that we saw is really remarkable. And now if they actually start getting some of the consistency we're just discussing, watch out. But here's the here's the thing that I think the Titans have in their favor, and I, you know I'll pick up this when we when we come back. There, there I think there is a there is an aspect of Rabel's team that I don't see top to bottom with every other AFC group. Maybe a maybe one or two, but to me with the Titans it's definitive, and I, it could be the X factor that propels them past what will likely be a very difficult divisional round matchup. Divisional round games are traditionally very tightly contested games. Some of the best football we'll see all season. And the Titans now will face that matchup, not on the road, not as the underdog, but they'll face the team coming in that will likely be the underdog and well, should be the underdog if they face even the Bengals, who are the four seed. That's the, the best remaining team that they could possibly face at Nissan Stadium. But nonetheless, I, I think there's a, an argument to be made that their toughest game to get to the Super Bowl will be the weekend of the 22nd or 23rd. Uh, because, as Chad's pointing out, and the question you're asking about the, the rust versus rest, Henry's coming back to his first game out of the gate from injury, 
we saw Julio. We're seeing the mix and the group together. Vrabel admitted that the offensive line didn't play all that well uh, top to bottom yesterday as that group played together for the first time throughout an entire game. There's an aspect, though, that I think that can propel them over the hump. That's next on Outkick 360. There were four teams that won their final three games of the NFL regular season. Welcome back to Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. You can follow us on Twitter at Outkick 360. You can chime in with us. I'm curious which AFC team you trust the most as this playoff field unravels and begins. I mean, I think it is as wide open as we've seen, and I look forward to trying to compare and contrast how wide open some of the past playoffs have been. Going back, though, to the teams that won their final three games, Tampa Bay from the NFC, and then Buffalo, Vegas, and the Titans. Those are the three teams from the AFC that won their final so three games So if you're looking for the hot team, those are some teams to pick from right I, there. I think San Fran would fall into the mix of hot teams too, uh, despite their loss Cardinals to the Titans. Cardinals not in that mix of Cardinals teams. certainly not. Limping Rams not. in the playoffs. Um, again, like, and I, again, the, the Packers would be on any other given Sunday that they're playing the Lions. But again, Rodgers only played a half, so they don't count for this. But technically, I think everyone viewing understands where the, the Packers into the postseason. But for all the negativity and the hand-rigging that we gave the the, the Titans, and, and I, I think rightfully so for how they performed during certain stretches of the season, they rebounded and have adjusted to enter the playoffs, performing well and getting their best player back. And Chad, I go I'm just trying to give the survey and the outlook for the AFC. Prior to the season, um, I, I, I've picked the Titans to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I've got the Packers... Uh, representing the NFC. And while I don't think both teams end up making it because we never see one versus one, it doesn't feel like we ever truly get one seed versus one seed, I think there's an aspect to the Titans team that you can trust and that you should be willing to bet on. And that's the physicality and toughness that this team has and that's ingrained in them. I think week in and week out, that's something you can count on with this group that I'm not sure you can do with any other AFC team. That includes the Chiefs. That includes the Bills. Um, I, I'm going through the list here, and I'm trying to think of the the, the Bengals. At the, the Bengals, there's nothing tough about their offensive line. Uh, no quarterback was sacked more than Joe Burrow. And while at times I've seen uh, Tannehill take his fair share of sacks, uh, there there is a mentality to this Titans defense, and the 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 battles that they're winning in the trenches on a consistent basis, and the fact they're getting Henry back. To me, there, there's an overlooked angle to this, and it's the, it, it's the, it's the aspect of the team that you can't just quantify and add up on a sheet of paper. Well, and where does that aspect of this team come from? If we're pointing to the genesis of that, to me, it's Mike Vrabel. Yeah, and it's another example of why he is the NFL Coach of the Year. Because you're right, Hut. Not I go through the playoffs, and while we can point to, well, this team has a good pass rush, and this team has a good rushing attack. This team protects the passer well. This team likes to do this with play action. This team likes to go to the tight end this much. If you're looking for an ethos of a team and what they are, at their core, I think the Titans can point to toughness more so than any other team that, that's in these playoffs. And, and people want to point to, well, the Titans just aren't sexy. They're, yeah, they're the number one seed, but they don't have the, the best quarterback or they don't have this or that. If you're looking for what they have... I think you're spot on right that 
everyone will say, well, that's a tough football team. Ask it. Listen to any coach that covers the NFL that talks about the Titans. And one of the first things you'll hear is that is a tough physical football team. That is from the head coach on down. This team has a tough guy personality from the head coach down that I'm with you, Hutton. Not every team in, in these playoffs has that. No, I don't think I think not, they, I don't know. I can't point to one of that definitely has that. Yeah, I think there there are teams that certainly have shown glimpses of this and that can play this style. I'm not sure game to game they can put together a stretch the well, way the Titans have. And before it, you know, it would have been the Colts for a stretch this season. They're not in the playoffs now, but right, right. it would have been the Colts for that stretch. And they're getting blown up by Jacksonville. Yeah, you know, at the point of attack, like oh, clearly um, not in that mix now. Right, and uh, I mean, it, it, before you like sneer at the idea that we're a show in Nashville talking about the one seed Titans, I would just point back and say they they went six and three without Derrick Henry. They went six and three without the best running back in football. And that includes Jonathan Taylor. So through the nine games with the six and three mark and the way they finished the season after going through a stretch where it was, I mean, it was some abysmal offense, some terrible offense. And to, to rebound and find a way to win three straight down the stretch and secure the number one overall seed when I believe going into December, they were the four seed, the three or the four, given some tiebreaker scenarios with what could play out, they, they've set themselves up in a perfect situation to get Henry back and to get their wide receiving core playing as a complete tandem now, which we haven't seen at all throughout the year either. Well, and we set up this season looking at the offensive prospects for the Titans specifically, we would set it up with, okay, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, and now Julio Jones. When you had that trio, what would the production look like for the Titans Hutton, I think you have some numbers about what Julio Jones and A.J. Brown together well, can do for this team. Well, let's just look at yesterday in particular. Yesterday, Ryan Tannehill averaged 7.7 air yards per completion. And I want to tie this in because there was a time, like I think Tannehill, people view this as, well, he's dink and duck anyway. That doesn't sound all that great. I, I haven't looked up the full season numbers on Patrick Mahomes. But he's not throwing it downfield at a clip you would believe Patrick Mahomes is throwing it downfield with. I mean, there was a time midway through the season, he's averaging a little over four yards per attempt of air yards. Now, what they do after the catch, the Chiefs are far superior at than what the Titans have been producing. But I think that can change with some of the play-action aspects. And we saw the play-action really hit its stride in that second quarter in Houston. He averaged 7.7 air yards per completion. That's the second most that we've seen from him all season. And in recent games, let's just look at the recent games of air yards. Two point, this is what he's averaged for these games. 2.1, 3.1, 3.6, 3.4. One week he averaged six yards. But by and large, his throws have been in a very confined box. And that was not the case yesterday. For the first time all season, the Titans had four different receivers with 50 or more yards in a game. We haven't seen that all year. And I think that's in large part due to the fact that Julio Jones actually showed up and performed and produced. Um, can we find that consistent, though, from Julio? Can we get that play from him and A.J.? I have no, I have no issues with A.J. Brown. The guy's going to bring it uh, if he can walk. If he can stand on two feet, he's going to bring it. Is Julio going to give you that same aspect offensively? And if he does, imagine what they're capable of 
with an offensive line that has shown in recent weeks, within the last month, they can protect Ryan Tannehill, and an offensive line that has shown even without Henry, they can run the football. And with Henry, they get the explosive plays back in the run game. I, I, I'm intrigued because I think they're just now starting to hit their stride. Well, one note on Julio Jones, and it was very encouraging uh, what we saw from him yesterday from a Titans perspective. Uh, but one thing, and, and uh, James Lofton, who was on the, the CBS broadcast yesterday, brought this up as well, and something I noticed throughout the game. They did extend outside of that box you mentioned, Hutton, with him. But there were a couple of attempts, maybe three deep down the field, that was overthrown. That the timing was just a little bit off. And I think this is also somewhat encouraging for the Titans that th- these are things that can still get better uh, with Ryan Tannehill and, and Julio Jones. Another key moment was a big completion for the Titans. It was on probably a 17-yard comeback route on the outside yeah. that was yeah. completed for a first down, and Julio Jones caught it and just sort of fell out of bounds. And James Lofton, who was a, a really good receiver, brought this up. He said, if, the ball, if there's trust between the quarterback and the receiver, this ball is thrown as the receiver is stopping to come back for it, if you have your timing down. But Tannehill just doesn't have that familiarity with Julio Jones, and the ball isn't thrown until Julio Jones is coming back for it, looking at the ball already, looking at the pass. If it's thrown when it's supposed to be thrown, this is a play where Julio Jones Mm. can catch it standing up, make one guy miss, and have an enormous play on it. That's just one example of where this offense can get better. With, with Not just having Julio Jones available, which is going to help, but... Where can you add to what Julio Jones was yesterday and add to what we said last week, which was if you're looking for candidates that can step up and do something huge for this team and do something heroic in the playoffs, it's Julio Jones, who's done nothing all season up until yesterday. And now the hope for the Titans would be he can start doing more. This is an example of if you get more on the same page with your quarterback, there's going to be more out there for you. And they, I agree, and they, that also gives them the ability to start fast. Uh, and Henry will do that too. If you go look at the first halves with Henry versus without Henry, um, and just compare it to the, the, the last couple of weeks, uh, they had 98 yards in the first half the last two weeks. And yesterday they had 198 yards in the first half. Now that's in the second quarter when they put up 21 points. And again, I'll go back to We're not going to recap the Houston matchup in totality after this season concludes in any great detail. But I think it could be a springboard. Let me give you an example. Anthony Ferkser has been showing glimpses of what we thought he could be more consistent with, what he should be more consistent with in the passing game over the course of the season. And yesterday, I believe he had 57 yards receiving. That's the best by a tight end all season. And not only is the best, he had 56 yards. That's a season high for him. And not only is that the best by a tight end all season, that is the best receiving day by a tight end since October of last year. It's been a while. And I, I think the the over-the-middle aspect of what the tight end can bring to this offense, we saw it with Jonu Smith when he was healthy last year versus when he wasn't. And that's what I'm pointing out. If they can get some type of offense going across the middle, and then you have Julio and AJ on the outside. Nick Westbrook-Akina is in his role. He's not asked to step up to be a number one or number two, but is fully capable of making some big plays. He's done that over the last couple of weeks 
where he's averaging on, he has a game where he has two catches, but he averaged 19 yards per reception. That's massive in what was a Titans win. That's the role he can play. And he's playing a much bigger role than he did last year. He's nearly around 40 catches on the season, I believe. Yesterday, we saw the scramble with Tannehill, and Westbrook Akeen is the guy they're throwing to for 36 yards. Point being, I think if Julio is giving you three, four, five catches a game, then you have the ability for all your other guys to play their role. And th- that role is around what was built for this offense, which is the run game in Derrick Henry. And we have not seen that complete group all year long. No, and and knock on wood, Taylor Lewan is looking more and more like a franchise left tackle the last couple weeks. And, and he's been quiet. He's been very good. He's been very good, very steady. Uh, I, I can't remember big penalties, You're big right. holding calls, big personal foul calls. Uh, I see him out on the 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 game deciding run by Dontrell Hilliard, where he wisely picks up the first down and slides in bounds. Taylor Wan was out in front of that play, clearing the way for Hilliard on it. He's been good, uh, and that's that's encouraging. Knock on wood for the Titans. The way this season started and some of the things in the middle of the season. It looks like an offensive line unit that's that's gelling together and healthier at the right time heading into the playoffs. Well, let, let's compare and contrast where the team was, and I, I've harped on this uh, throughout this year, where they finished last year, where they just limped into the playoffs, and, and then they started uh, slow. They, they, they started fast this year, but then lost some games they shouldn't have. And comparing it really going back to last year, where they they lost games to the Browns in December, um, excuse me, they they lost games to the Packers, blown out forty to fourteen was the final score in Green Bay on Sunday Night Football, um, and then they go lock up the division with a Sloman field goal off the upright. They win that game in Houston forty one thirty eight, and then they follow that up by hosting a wild card game against Baltimore and losing, and they were out of it before the playoffs really even got going. This year, it's different. This year, they're going into the playoffs winning three straight, and they go into the playoffs as healthy as they've ever been since Henry's injury. I mean, Henry's injury was right towards the, like, the I would say the quarter mark, would you say? Yeah. Uh, the I'd say 35, 40-yard line of what has been a, a rash of injuries that no team has had to play more players with. Do I mean, they played 91 players across their active roster this year. Um, they were just getting started when Henry went down nine nine games ago. And when you start to think about how they're playing now, Brable's got them and their coordinators have them playing at a, at a high rate that I don't think really many people have acknowledged because they've been without Henry and people wrote them off right after the injury. And they haven't really started to pay attention until tiebreaker scenarios and everything else played a factor. And look, in those three losses, they went through a lull where they were not playing well. I mean, they, they went into the bye week on a losing streak, and that's when really everyone, all the prognosticators, started to write them off. And since then, they came out of the bye and started winning games. Well, and tying this into Black Monday and some coaching availability that's out there, uh, we saw this with Matt LaFleur quickly, one year as Titans offensive coordinator, but because he was a part of the right family tree with Sean McVay, ends up as the Packers head coach. I have thought about the possibility of either Todd Downing or Shane Bowen getting some play or getting an interview with someone because 
of the Titans overachieving with all the injuries this year. Todd Downey, I noticed the Athletic listed him, I think, 12th on a list of 12 candidates for the Vikings, but he's from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, played at the University of Minnesota. He was listed as a possible candidate to replace Mike Zimmer uh, with the Vikings. I I wonder if there's going to be an assistant coach or two that gets a look from someone. I'm not saying they've done it long enough yet. If Eric Bieniemy still isn't a head coach, being offensive coordinator under Andy Reid with what the Chiefs have done, I'm not going to sit here and raise my hand and say Todd Downing or Shane Bowen should be someone's head coach the way I thought Arthur Smith was clearly going to be someone's head coach after last year, but it's worth asking the question. Well, and I, I think some guys will, uh, off of Rabel's staff, will start to get looks because they're associated with him. Because LaFleur and Arthur Smith are having success. I, I think it's uh, remarkable what Arthur Smith accomplished in Atlanta in his first year there. Um, although, like at first glance, first blush, I, I think it's, it's a year too soon for either guy. Um, but with that said, uh, interview options would be beneficial for them going into an open week. Now's the time to do it if they're going to get anything like that. I want to point out this about Todd Downing, too. That the, the Tennessee offense, number one playoff seed as a team, they are the uh, – uh, this has happened four times over the last 25 to 30 years. No 1,000-yard rusher. No 1,000-yard receiver. And they're number one. And it's due in large part to the way their defense has stepped up. They rose to the occasion and it's injuries far too. exceeded expectations. But yeah, but but I'm saying the, the, the defense has carried them. Oh, yeah. And we went through where they, they've dropped off in 2020 compared to 2021, where they dropped off this year. But now with the idea that they could really get their, their horsepower back with the firepower offense, we saw the explosive plays yesterday. And you add Henry into that, I I think Todd Downing has a chance to really show what Brable hired him to do when they elevated him to be the offensive coordinator with the talent around that he has to work with now. Yeah, f- for sure. And, and I, I look at that stat, and there's no doubting the defense has carried this Titans team. But when I see the stat about the lack of individual stars, I, I think that's because A.J. Brown was hurt, Derrick Henry was oh, hurt, yeah. Julio Jones was hurt. And they had to spread the wealth a little bit more. Uh, and also, you know, Ryan Tannehill's been disappointing for the majority of this season based on expectation, based on what he's been uh, the previous two seasons. But uh, it was encouraging to see him play that way yesterday and make the play he did to, I think, give the Titans the win. They went into the bye week losing two straight and came out of the bye week and their defense, the Titans' defense, allowed just 12.8 points per game on average. They allowed 52.8 rushing yards per game on average. And the third down defense got stops 70% of the time. And that deserves mention because this was the NFL worst on third down defense that we've ever seen. It was terrible uh, for their third down defense last year. And then this year, they come out of their bye week go on a playoff push to the number one overall seed and get stopped 70% of the time. The Titans' defensive improvement, they went from 24th to 6th in scoring, 28th to 12th in yards allowed, 19 sacks to 43 sacks, worst third down to 6th best, and 19th in rushing 
uh, rushing defense to the second best rushing defense in the NFL. Remarkable turnaround. So uh, of the two coordinators, Bowen deserves to get the most looks. But in this day and age, for the most part, it's the offensive guys that get the interviews, unless you're a retread type guy. But it's also a defensive guy with the Titans that has this team with the personality that we discussed, which teams are going to have to factor in when hiring a head coach. No doubt. No doubt. Coming up, we continue to take a look at the playoff field and we'll give our predictions for tonight's college football playoff championship game on OutKick 360. Predictions on the national title game coming up in just a moment. OutKick 360 rolls on. Withrow is all in on the first matchup of the NFL Super Wildcard Weekend, though. He says the first matchup on Saturday between the Raiders and the Bengals is going to be the game to watch. Five versus four. Raiders winning three straight to get in. The Bengals resting players out of necessity and opportunity. They kick off the postseason out of the AFC slate. 4.30 Eastern on Saturday on NBC. With all due respect to Bill O'Brien and his Texans team, this was sort of the Bill O'Brien Texans team memorial uh, every year when they were in the playoffs. Yep. The least right. interesting team and matchup in the playoffs usually is slotted in that Saturday afternoon window. Not the case for me uh, with Vegas and their route to the playoffs, which is one of the more remarkable ones in recent memory. And then Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon. How much fun I've had watching the Cincinnati team all year. I'm more interested in, in that game uh, on NBC than any of the other ones this weekend, even though San Francisco-Dallas gets the prime spot on late Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and that's going to be the, the obvious matchup for people to pay attention to. I, I'm curious, can Dallas's defense do what the Titans did to Jimmy G uh, and get pressure in that second half? Because... They are going to present, the 49ers will present Dallas with a lot of different looks out of the backfield. And they actually have different elements of their run game that they didn't have on that Thursday night football game two days prior to Christmas that they do have back now uh, from injury. I'm, I'm curious if San Francisco's front can match up with the physical tone of what Dallas can do. And on passing downs, can they protect Garoppolo enough to push the ball downfield to players like Debo Samuel and, and others? Uh, who certainly have the playmaking capabilities. Uh, really interesting. In, and I'm also curious about Philadelphia-Tampa. There's not going to be a lot of buzz about this game, but Philly comes into the postseason running it at a clip better than anybody. And their defense, on average, over the last month or so, last five, six games, if you take away the game where they didn't play starters, which was this past Saturday, they're only allowing like 12 points per game. Or maybe may less than, maybe single digits. They've been excellent. Can they wreak havoc? on the Tampa front and get to Brady and pressure him. They're not going to run it against Philadelphia's defense. Tampa doesn't run it against anyone. Are they going to be able to get pressure on Brady and control the the flow and the rhythm and the pace of this game? That's Philadelphia's challenge. If they can do it, they can be a road team that wins an opening weekend and that pulls one of these massive up upsets. There, there will be a massive upset from a road team this weekend. Let me give you a prediction on tonight's national championship game, Hutton. Um, it's going to have a really bad rating compared to recent years because regardless, and, and we host this show from the South, we are big SEC people. Uh, it is the top level of college football. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but doesn't matter what people in the South think about the SEC and their dominance. 
Um, there's some fatigue happening with the SEC's dominance at the highest level. This is not the fault of Georgia or Alabama. Georgia's played a different sport than everyone else in America this year. <laughs> yeah, that, That's a problem. And Alabama has played a different sport than everyone else the last decade with their dominance. They have not been the dominant team this year, but they dominated Georgia in the SEC championship game. Oh, that was a month ago, by the way. Uh, this is the least intriguing national championship game nationally since the last time Georgia and Alabama played for a national championship. And I'll argue that game was more intriguing from a national standpoint because Kirby Smart was the ascendant young new coach at Georgia at that point. Now Kirby Smart is just someone who brings in 15 five-stars a year that can't beat his teacher. And that's less intriguing nationally. So that is my prediction for this game tonight. The ratings will not look good. Unless we get a classic performance where everyone tunes in in the second half. I mean, Chargers-Raiders isn't a national draw either, but everyone was glued to that finish. Well, it hurt. In 2011, it was Bama and LSU. That was a miserable rating. That was also a miserable game. 21 nothing though. Yes. Um, I'd need to go back and look. I don't think the last Georgia-Bama game did great nationally, even though it was an overtime game. Tua's, Tua's coming off the bench and winning that game. Yeah, look, it's these... We got what this was intended to do. Bring the two best teams in America head-to-head for a championship yeah. game after a four-team playoff that delivers the four best teams in the country. The playoff did that. We now have a national championship game with the two best teams in the country. Still don't think that it's going to rate well nationally because there's fatigue. So, you know, my, I, I don't uh, beat Bama. I don't, I don't wear the, the pin that says beat Bama. I say bet Bama. But... I'm leaning towards Georgia in the second matchup. And the reason for that, I do think they are the more talented team week in and week out that that we've seen play. For about a quarter and a half, we saw Alabama, Alabama dominate them in their defense. And for the rest of that game, it was primarily about what we expected for an SEC championship game. So if I'm asked the question, what can change this go-around? I think they have to come up with a way and a plan defensively to defend the pass vertically because that's where Alabama and that, that, that's where Bryce Young attacked them vertically. And while I think and I expect Bill O'Brien and I would hope Bill O'Brien is able to add some wrinkles to this pass game that doesn't primarily focus vertically, what can Georgia do to help out with a team that can actually press their secondary, that can protect their quarterback and press their secondary. I think they can come up with a remedy for it because I think they have the players to do it. You mentioned it earlier with Trey Wallace. Georgia's got the players. Do they have the coach that's not going to press? And Kirby Smart's a very intriguing aspect of the game because he left that previous matchup with Bama in the championship game, and there was this feeling like, oh, we'll be back, right? Well, they're back. And not only are they back, they've got the same team that they've got to knock down. And does he press at all if this game is tight? Or if, or if Alabama opens up with a two-possession lead, 10-0, say, what does the play call look like from there? And how can they get Cook matched up and take advantage of some of the play at linebacker? I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I completely see people that want to ride with Bama I don't think it's the blowout that we saw at the SEC championship game. 
I think this is a much more competitive game, and I think it comes down to the fourth quarter. I think we're in for a treat tonight. I said after the last matchup that I wasn't going to make the mistake of picking Kirby Smart to beat his daddy, the Nick Saban, again. Uh, I'm making that mistake. George is the better team. They've got better players. Dan Lanning is going to have a plan to get to Bryce Young this go-around. He's headed to Eugene, Oregon, a national champion and a conquering hero for Georgia fans. Bulldogs get it done in the rematch. Coming up tomorrow, we'll continue to discuss all of what has happened with the coaching changes and set up the NFL playoffs on Outkick 360.